fact that no one gets out of this alive. <laughs> you know, we're all, we've got a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, God willing. It's understanding like, you know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, the fear was unbelievable. Like I was just completely just enveloped in just fear. And I don't know how or when it happened, but it just sort of flipped. It, it, it went from being terrified, like to the point where I, I couldn't breathe to it being like, no, no, no. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I've got work to do. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm honored to talk to one of the greatest athletes of all time, Olympic champion and four-time world champion in figure skating, Scott Hamilton. From 1981 to 84, Scott dominated his sport and won every single competition, which later led, amongst other things, to his induction in the Olympic Hall of Fame and an Emmy Award nomination. Scott also survived multiple rounds of cancer and now spends his time helping others get through life's toughest challenges. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. This is exciting. I'm super excited to have you. And so I want to first take you back to the moment you were 16, one of the most pivotal moments, I'm assuming, of your life when your mom sort of cheerfully announced that she had cancer. So can you take us back to that moment for a second? And Yeah, it was really odd. You know, I mean, um, my mom was really super, always, you know, very friendly, always very interactive, always the first to laugh at everything. And, and um, she was also very well instructed, very well schooled in uh, marriage and family relations. She was an associate professor at Bowling Green State University. So she kind of understood the whole family dynamic thing. So when she got the news that she um, had cancer, I'm sure she was devastated. But the way she told us really gave us permission to kind of relax and just sort of not be fearful. And she just sort of came home and she goes, family meeting. And I was like, well, what's a family meeting? We've never really done that before. And so we sat her on the table and she, she said, I've just been diagnosed with a disease called cancer. And we were like, I thought cancer was really bad. And she goes, oh, you know, so I'm going to need a little, you know, I'm going to have some medicine. I may not feel good. And I'm going to have some surgery and I'm just going to need some help around the house. And so she started doling out all the duties for how we're going to be more part of the family day-to-day -day dynamic. And I was just really taken aback by her strength and her courage and everything. And, and the more I look back on that time, I realized how much it's formed me, you know, how much like, you know, I've, I've wanted to become that person. And so she was an extraordinary lady. I miss her every day. And, uh, you know, she was, uh, she fought it for two years and uh, lost her battle and it was devastating um and so in her passing i just had to wake up and try to be the person she always wanted me to be yeah so talk to us about that moment that moment of decision where you decided to honor her and start living every day for her at your best at your highest potential yeah you know she was kind of the most important person in my life you know she she was extraordinary in so many ways and i you know i just um you know, I was in her room until about 3.30 in the morning uh, the night before she passed. And, you know, she was unconscious. You know, she didn't really want to have any pain medication until um, the end. And so we were in her room and my brother and I were there until about 3.30. And then we went home and 
I was asleep on the couch in the, in the family room because we had a lot of people visiting us. We had a very small house. And um, my brother-in-law at the time came in and he just sort of sat down next to me, woke me up. And, and I go, what's, what's going on? He goes, your mother is gone. And I, I, the only thing I could think to say was, I know. I, I don't really know why I said that, but I just, I, I, I don't know. So I sort of got up. And I decided to um, walk around my backyard. We, we lived out in the country. And so I just walked and I, I, I was like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I live without her? How do I, um, how do I, how do, how do, you know, I, I was so, um, there was so much grief that I just, I had to figure out what to do with it. And in that, I thought, you know, I was never really the person that she hoped I could be while she was alive. So why don't I carry her with me and try to become the person that she always dreamed I could be? She would like, you know, I would finally pass a figures test and she would drag me around the neighborhood um, to all the neighbors saying, well, we just passed our test with flying. <laughs> and I'd be like quietly embarrassed, but at the same time I was very, you know, I knew she was proud of me, but I, you know, I never really, I, I didn't go on. I like, I love skating, but I, I wasn't really one of the hardest workers and I, I love the opportunities that skating gave me, but I, I didn't ever really feel like I went all in until I lost her. And so I, I used that to keep me accountable. Like if I didn't, if I was going to be late for practice, it's like, no, 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 honor her, show up on time. If I didn't really feel like um, doing a long program run through, cause they're, it's kind of hard. <laughs> I go honor her. No, I do a long program through. So all of that, just being accountable to her and being accountable to her memory and being, you know, just trying to, you know, be that person that I wasn't when she was alive really changed everything in my life. And, you know, I used um, her love to power me through um, the, really the, the most daunting um, competition series of my life, you know, so um, she was the fuel for sure. Wow. So is that something you still use to this day? Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I do a lot of work in cancer and it's, it's really because she had cancer 20 years later, I had cancer, but I realized that she taught me how to go through it. You know, she, she would always kind of like, you know, try to make a chemotherapy smaller than it was. Right. So she would say things like, Oh, I love this chemo. This chemo is so great. I finally found a way to lose all this weight. Oh, I love chemotherapy. It's just so awesome. I've wanted to quit smoking all these years. Now I have no desire. Oh, I love this. This chemo is amazing. It's so awesome. My hair has always been such a problem. These wigs are so much easier and they're so beautiful. And so she was like the person that turned everything to the positive. And I love that about her. And I, and it just, it was one of those things that's what, that's what I want to do. So when I had my cancer, no one was allowed in my hospital room unless they made me laugh. Wow. And so I tried to turn it into more of a joyful environment than a, you know, kind of a medical kind of fight for your life environment, you know? Yeah. So I learned a lot from her. And now, even now with my, all my brain tumors and stuff, you know, I, like each time I tell my kids, I try to be like my mom. And say, yo, is your brain tumor back, Dad? And I go, yes, it is. That's, that's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be great, you know. And so, um, yeah, she taught me a lot, you know, in the few years that I had her. Wow, that is such a beautiful story, and it, it really speaks to you. you. Call yourself this eternal optimist, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and really, it so, yeah. really. Hmm. 
Yeah, so the optimism thing, you know, it's like, it, it's so much better than the other, you yeah. know, and I think of, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to dread everything. No, I'm going to try to find a way, you know, I learned early that, um, that, you know, if I, if, if I just decide I'm going to be okay today, then I usually am, you know, it's, it starts with that decision. Like, I, you know, I'm okay today, so let's go. And then I realized, you know, later when I got into faith that, that light chases out darkness like darkness has no power over light, right? You know, it's like darkness can never defeat light, right? Light always defeats darkness. So I, whenever I get kind of like down, I just try to like just fill myself with light and just try to figure out how I, you know, what would, what would be something that makes me happy and, and just sort of go to that place instead of allowing whatever my conditions are at the time to kind of bring me under and uh, overwhelm me. So um, it's been a really interesting ride you know with all these different health challenges each one has had their own identity and each one has really uh strengthened me and brought me more in touch with who i am and and uh and really uh allowed me to understand how faith comes into it and who i am um in the lord's eyes so um yeah it's been uh something i love to share yeah for sure and i definitely want to dive later also into this this hobby, as you call it, of, of collecting life-threatening illnesses. Because <laughs> yes, the, yeah. the way that you go through these is so fascinating to me. Because, like, you know, even for people that aren't, you know, they're listening to this and they aren't, you know, struggling with cancer or whatever, but they have their own challenges, right? And I think it is the same mindset that if you learn that optimism, if you learn to, to smile, even in the midst of these, the suffering, that is the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful skill you can learn in life. Um, but before that, just to take you back to like 1980, the, the Olympics, the first Olympics where, where you took fifth in the Olympics, mm -hmm. what was sort of the driving force, you know, in the years after that, that you, that allowed you to really dominate the sport for, for four years? Yeah, it was really wild. I, you know, when my mom died, I woke up and so I, I got to work and I, I sort of was naturally, um, attracted to doing this one jump that nobody was really doing. At that time, it was called the triple lutz. You know, it's a, it's a nothing jump now. They're all doing quads now. But back then, nobody really had a triple lutz. And so I kept working on it. And I had to – actually, my mom actually had to fly out to Denver where, um, where I was training because I had to get my hip operated on because I kept falling on it. So she came and stayed with me for a few days while I got my hip operated on. And and um, that was a great memory. And then um, – uh, you know, it was, it hurt too bad to land, to fall on it. So I started landing it. You know, it so pain is a powerful teacher, right? So I started landing it. And so I got ahead of my competitors a little bit, right? So when I went into uh, the 1980 season, I was stronger in the figures than I was before because I always struggle with those. And um, I was really consistent in the short program. And I had that triple lots, which was kind of like my ace of the hole. And so I was able to do it in the short program and the long program. And so I was able to make the Olympic team. And then after that Olympics, uh, then the, like I was fifth, right? So the, the number one guy, Robin Cousins, turned professional. Then Jan Hoffman, the silver medalist, went to medical school. And then Charlie Tickner, the bronze medalist, turned professional. So all I had to do is wake up one morning in like the spring of 1980 and I'm ranked second in the world. You know? it's kind of like, I joke that it's a really good, you know, cup of coffee. That was amazing. That's just, I bet. Yeah. 
and so I'm ranked second in the world. It's like, I'm that close. What do I got to do in order to win and win it all? And I realized it was just get, get weak. I mean, get strong where I'm weak, you know? So I, I really wasn't that strong in the compulsory figures. And the guy that I had to beat was amazing at them. So I just had to fall in love with that. And so I, I just put my head down I got to work and I just um, tried to get strong where I was weak. And even to this day, like I, I, you know, my kids will be, you know, in sports and I, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, what's your greatest strength? And they roll their eyes and they go, lack of weakness. I go, yeah, figure out where you're weak and get strong. And pretty soon, if, if you kind of do that, like just in life in general, if you're like, where are my weaknesses and where, where do I really struggle? And you just wear out, you know, just getting stronger at all that stuff. Pretty soon you, you kind of feel a lot better about yourself. Like, I'm always I, I, the shortest guy in my class. I was always like, the little one, the weak one, you know, all that stuff. So I, I've never been really great with competition. Now it's like, I'm really getting better at like being in a, in a contentious situation and not being crushed by it. It's, you know, I, I'm very calm in the storm now. So before I'd run for cover, now it's kind of like, oh, I get this for what it is. I'm okay. It's all right. This, this too shall pass. And, you know, so in all of that, you know, just try to figure out how to be strong enough to stand up to that moment. Um, I, I really got stronger where I was weak. And then starting in the October, I guess it was around this time of year um, in 1980, uh, from that competition skate Canada on, I, I never lost a competition again. So it was a really big run. I never anticipated it. It was never my plan to go undefeated for four years. I mean, even to now, it's like, how did, how did that happen? I got lucky a few times, but it was just being ready when, when, you know, the bell rang, it's time to throw it down and get to work. Yet, I mean, the consistency is just absolutely mind-blowing. And, and what, what fascinated me and, and watching you is I don't know anything about figure skating, but just watching some of those videos, it was so apparent you just had fun. Like, it just looked like yeah. you were having the greatest time, like entertaining crowds, smiling, jumping. Like, was that yeah. one of the, the secrets maybe to, like, allowing you to have that kind of consistency, just having fun when you were doing it? Well, I loved it, you know, but I also learned from, you know, like my big uh, motivator, my big kind of muse inspiration was music. I love music. And so, you know, back in the day, you know, when I look back on that time, there were three artists that were really very impactful and very, um, like, inspiring to me. And one of them was Neil Diamond, you know, because, you know, he was just crushing it. And, and, and he was, every time he's on stage, he just shows joy. Like, it's always just, you, you just, you get so wrapped up in the joy of his music and the way, the way that he looks on stage and the way that I go, that's, I love that. I want to, I want to be like that on the ice. And then the other one was Bruce Springsteen, who is very blue collar and just, you know, worked really hard, built an audience, showed up every night, you know, really just sort of got, under, you know, into the crowd's seats and got them out of, the, you know, just insane amount of, um, of just performance and, and all that. And I was like, I want to be like that. And then the third one was Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. And he just, when Zeppelin broke up, I thought, oh man, I want to miss that voice. And he just, he went on this journey of just being really brave in his choices and really trying to do things that, that really um, were going to make his music more interesting and, and more eclectic and broad. And I, I want to do that too. So I kind of did that throughout. And I realized that the more I show 
joy on the ice, the more people enjoy the performance. And then as a professional, I realized the more I show joy on the ice, people come to those shows to give themselves a couple hours off, right? They just yeah. want to step into a different environment and enjoy, you know, all that. And so if you can create something really exciting and something unique and just be, and just put 120% effort into it while you're having the best time of your life, you know, people like that, you know, and, and uh, it helps really truly build that relationship um, over time. And, and I was able to do that, which, you know, to this day, I, I, I look back and I go, wow, that was really crazy. I, I toured for 20 years. And I, I thought if I could go two to four, I was fooling a lot of people, you know, <laughs> but you know, it just worked out where um, I was able to kind of stick around for a long time and invent, reinvent myself a little bit each year, like Robert Plant would and work hard and build that audience like Springsteen would and show the joy like Neil Diamond would. Yeah, that's just absolutely incredible. This, this transformation then from, from being the best in the world at, at this figure skating thing. And then also like, quitting basically as the best in the world to then start touring with you know the like all the other great guys and, and running these shows and inspiring people and giving them a good time so what were some of the learnings that that you had over this 20-year career really as a an entertainer i would almost call it or a performer where you just yeah, essentially you know, shame those emotions well when i was um when i was competing it was purely amateur right so 1984 uh, when I won the Olympics and then my fourth world championship, I was flat broke. Like I hadn't, I didn't have, I didn't have anything. Right. And I was living in my best friend's parents' basement, you know, it was close to the rink and I was able to, to stay there and train and they looked after me and it was awesome. I love them. And it was, you know, one of those things where I, I got to get a job, you know, it's like, okay, wow. I had this huge run, you know, what am I going to do next year? Well, if I kind of keep doing it, it's like, okay, what's another, you know, what's another title? Like the four is all I really ever, you know, like if I, if I make four, you know, that's the best in stick button. That's pretty yeah. cool. So I did that or no, since Hayes Jenkins, I did that. And then uh, I go, okay, that's like, wow, that was really amazing. So I got a job with the ice capades and I decided that I really wanted to keep my skating up. So it's a 33 week tour and I negotiated it just to help them out that I, I really only do 20 weeks. Let's just do a 20 week deal. And then I can keep my skating up and I can do all these like commentary and these other things that I really like to do. And, and I can, I can rest so that when the showtime comes, I'm totally hundred percent ready to go. And that way I can still build that audience where I'm not going to get burnt out over 33 weeks. And, and they loved that idea. They thought that was great. And so I normally I would, you know, again, 20 week commitment each year, I would end up doing 23 or 24 weeks because, um, you know, skaters would get hurt and they'd ask me to go in those cities and take over kind of the starring roles there. But after two, I had a three-year contract. It was uh, two years guaranteed and the third was an option, uh, you know, sort of a, and I, and I, I never missed a show and I never missed a, a press call. And I even did all those extra shows for skaters that got hurt. And so I'm thinking, oh man, I was the model employee. I'm just, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing. They're going to, yeah. I'm so not only getting that third year option, but they're going to extend it way past. And, and the whole time I was doing the show, I was paying attention to like production and I was paying attention to, you know, lighting and, and set up and, and how the audience was brought in. And I, and I, I paid attention to kind of what music worked and what didn't and how, you know, the audience response. And I was just really trying to take it all in. And what was really wild was um, 
that after the two years, um, the president of the ice capades came, who I really had a great relationship with. And he goes, well, you, you, you said you're going to do it and you did it. You never missed a show and you never missed a press obligation. You're a model employee. And I, and, uh, he said, you know, we're going through a sale, you know, the, the show is being sold to a new owner. And it's like, I, well, I look forward to meeting him. And he goes, well, he doesn't really want to meet you. <laughs> like, oh, what? Yeah. what? And he goes, he only wants women. He doesn't want any male skaters. He only wants female skaters. So um, good luck. Wow. That was, that was the end of it, right? So, um, I'm, you know, I, I met with my manager. We, you know, I, I was a big tennis fan. So I went down to Florida to watch the Lipton tournament. And uh he was uh, in charge of the tennis division for IMG. So I kind of had backstage past all the tennis stuff. So it was really cool. And so we're sitting there and he goes, so um, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, do you want to help us build a tour? And uh, I looked at him, I go, let me check my schedule. <laughs> right. And so um, we had, you know, we had an idea. IMG wanted to start a little show called stars on ice. And um and I said, yeah, I think I know enough. I think I learned enough. I think I've got enough gas in the tank where I can really help you build this thing and, and grow it. And so I had, you know, an opportunity, just that was it, an opportunity to build Stars and Ice. And what's crazy is I, I toured with them full time for 15 years. And then I went back and I, and I guessed it a little bit after I left the tour as a full touring member. I guessed it at, you know, some cities. So it took me to my 20th year. And, uh, and I, I look back on that now and I think what an incredible thing that that show still exists to this day. Wow, yeah. You know, even after all these years, I'm, I'm no longer performed in it. And I was like, wow, that was such an incredible thing that to be rejected, basically let go by one company. And that would normally devastate, you know, and, and I was devastated, but I kind of felt there's something else out there. I just got to find it. And then to be given that opportunity was extraordinary. And we were able to, grow that tour into something spectacular. And when I do my speeches, it's really funny. I, I go, okay, here's the definition of passive aggression, right? Has anyone seen capades lately? Anyone seen ice capades lately? Hmm. You know, that show that toured for 50 plus. Oh, that's right. They went out of business. <laughs> I must not have had enough men to sell tickets for them. So that was kind of it. But, you know, it, it was just great that I was fortunate enough to earn that opportunity, you know, through just showing up every day and working really hard. I was able to kind of allow another company to see that, that I, I might be a horse they could bet on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, this is such a beautiful and, and absolutely amazing story. And I think it speaks to this idea that if you just, you know, buckle down and you do the things that you're you know, supposed to do and you do all the right stuff and you are that model employee, that at some point someone's going to start to notice, right? So even if you lose that one job, you can create opportunities by having the right mindset, by going into it with this optimistic attitude, always looking to add value, always, you know, also like going above and beyond what you said, like before, right? Like you were supposed to just skate, but you start looking at the, the camera and the, like the, the, the like lighting and the music and all of the different aspects of it, like essentially preparing yourself in advance. Well, and you think of the opposite, right? You think about showing up late, you think about phoning it in, you think about just, you know, being there for the check. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, if it doesn't work out, 
what do you have now? Right. So for me, it was like, I'm going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And, you know, the fact that I was able to keep my skating up and, and grow as a performer, grow as an entertainer. And then, you know, it's like, it's almost that, that, that sort of um, being an appreciating asset instead of a depreciating asset. You know, it's like, I want to be more valuable next year because more people want to see me skate. The other thing that was really fun that I did that um, was sort of, it sort of came out of being aware of my surroundings. Every time I go to skate a show, I'd, I'd always go back to, and I'd listen to the kind of murmur of the audience to kind of, if it was louder, that meant, well, A, there was more people in the building. And, but also that means that there was a sense of anticipation. And I'd always like, the, okay, okay, that we, we, they're already kind of leaning in so we can really just, you know, seal this thing. But every time I'd look through the curtain, you know, and see, you know, what was out there, there'd always be some man sitting next to his wife and he was, you know, he's checking his watch and he's like rolling his eyes. And he's like, he didn't want to be there. And I thought, if I can get that guy out of his chair, right? Just, wow, you know, yeah. if I can get a standing ovation out of that guy, that's that's the audience that's being sort of neglected, right? The women are, you know, the women that come to the show, they, they love figure skating and appeals to them on so many levels, but not so much the men. If I can make men love figure skating, I can skate forever. <laughs> I can just skate for as long as I want. And it kind of worked out that way where I'll be, and I'll be at the Nashville airport, you know, traveling to some place and, and some guy will come up to me and he goes, are you the skater? And I'll say, yes, sir. And he'll go, oh, um, <laughs> I don't watch skating. I don't, I, cause I'm like a football basketball guy. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm a kind of team sport guy, but my wife loves the figure skating. Can I go get her and introduce you to her? And I go, absolutely. So a guy will come back a minute or two later with his wife and, and he'll say, honey, look, who, look who's here. And she'll look at me like, I have no idea who that is. And I was like, I win. Yeah. <laughs> I, win. I, I won him over. I win. You know, so it's that, you know, it's, it's trying to be appealing to, you know, build, grow, like, you know, get outside your bubble and try to build something more interest, more awareness, more, you know, again, it's this greater opportunity. And it's also, it's classic, you know, build your audience 101 is, to really reach out to people that they won't necessarily be there or wouldn't be necessarily interested and try to appeal to them and, and bring them in. Yeah, that's so interesting. So do you use the same thing in, in your, your public speaking now, like the same approach or maybe even targeting people that may not usually be in your audience and trying to win them over and get that standing ovation? <laughs> well, you know, you'd like to, you know, it just comes down to, um, in the audience, you know, it comes down to being aware of who you're talking to and, and really being accessible to their needs, you know, and, and a lot of times it's, you know, it comes in either it's a corporate thing where you, you're there to kind of inspire and motivate or, you know, just sort of entertain their, their employees, or it can be a fundraiser where you're there to really just uh, relate to the audience as far as why they're there to support this particular organization um, there's, uh, there's standalone kind of like these town halls where you show up to give a lecture series and it, you know, it's, it's, so, you know, the, it, it's either, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who actually did uh, my podcast for the live your days thing. His name is Kevin Neal and, and he's a comedian. I reached out to him years ago. I was in um, Las Vegas and 
just sort of feeling kind of like, eh, you know, I, I just was feeling low that day and I, he always cheers me up. So I go, Kevin, I, I just, I'm, I'm struggling here a little bit. Maybe you can help me. And he goes, yeah, anything. And I go, you know, I felt like, you know, I'm looking at sort of my identity and it's like, I was a skater that sort of became like a competitive skater. And then I became like a champion skater. And then I became a professional skater and then an entertainer. And then kind of felt like I was like a schmoozer after a while. <laughs> and, I go, and now I'm doing this. I go, I go, who, I go, who am I now? And he goes, oh, that's easy. And I go, please tell me. And he goes, you're an imposter. <laughs> like, okay. okay, I can live with that. Oh, that's so funny. You know, so, uh, you know, it's just, you always want to step into and be responsible to expectation. And, you know, and if you can do that and then take it maybe a little further and, you know, it's like, um, I, I was lucky enough, at, I was at a V Foundation for Cancer, re, you know, they were funding research. And I was, um, I couldn't get into the scientific symposium because it was like, there was standing room only and I'm too short to see over people. So <laughs> I decided to go in and grab a cup of coffee and there's this man sitting there and he goes, you want to join me? And I go, absolutely. And so we're talking and, and I realized all at once, I, I knew I knew his name and I kind of knew a little bit about him. He was um, the founder of the Washington Speakers Bureau. Wow. And I, that's what I do kind of for a living is speaking. And so I'm, I see, I'm, I'm like, I'm now sitting across the, the man yeah. and I was like, okay, I, you know, tell me, tell me what I need to know. Just give me a master class. And he, he told me like, and it's all simple things. It's, it's really being, con, you know, connecting to your clients, right? It's, it's, you know, really being interactive with them to, you know, give them, because a lot of times there's a lot of stress that goes into putting on these meetings and putting on these events. And it's really being considerate of their stress and trying to make sure that you're not a source of any of their stress and, to, you know, show gratitude throughout. And, and there was other things, but those are the main ones where I was like, that's so simple, but it's also kind of like life, you know, like if you were to go, and, and, and be that way at work, to be that way at school, to be that way in your family, to always going to be accessible, be accountable, be um, that person that's not going to be a source of stress, but, you know, a problem solver for that person and, and show gratitude in the moment, man, the world would change overnight. I mean, it would change instantaneously. And so, like, I, you know, I, I, I used everything he told me to use. We've become really good friends. And, and uh, you know, after each speech, you know, I write a handwritten thank you note for the opportunity. And, and those are the old school little things that really make, a, you know, they, they really allow people to understand my gratitude for the opportunity. Instead of it just being, well, I'm sure they know, and I'm just going to go on with my life. It's like, no, I'm going to take this time, articulate my feelings and share it with them. And, you know, it, it's kind of that interaction that if we could all just do that, wow, you know, wow, it, it just makes it, it just adds value to that whole interaction, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I absolutely love that. Now I want to take you back to, to the end of the um, Stars on Ice 
um, Pierre, when you, you started this hobby, as, as I mentioned before, quote unquote, and you call it, uh, of collecting disease uh, illnesses, life-threatening illnesses. So, yeah. you know, for people that maybe, you know, going through this, maybe they know some of, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from just, you know, facing these challenges over and over and over again on, you know, staying with that positive and optimistic attitude? What are some yeah. of the, the well, things they've learned? You know, it's it's kind of the whole foundation of the live your days thing. It's like, you know, our bodies are incredibly susceptible and fragile and vulnerable to a lot of things, right? You know, we, they were not bulletproof, yeah. right? So understanding that, you know, and then understanding that also our bodies are amazingly resilient and they're incredibly powerful, right? They, they, can, they can endure, they can, you know, last, but ultimately they're temporary, right? So looking at the fact that no one gets out of this alive, you know, we're all, we've got a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, God willing. It's understanding like, you know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, the fear was unbelievable. Like I was just completely just enveloped in just fear. And I don't know how or when it happened, but it just sort of flipped. It, it, it went from being terrified, like to the point where I, I couldn't breathe to it being like, no, no, no. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I've got work to do. I, I'm gonna, I gotta learn everything I need to learn about what I'm, I'm up against. And when I, you know, I, when I know more and when I understand my condition and I'm gonna be the best patient they ever had because I'm coachable, like I'm okay with that. But I'm gonna understand, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a full participant. And knowing it just gave me this, the power to kind of like lean into that, you know, experience of the, the biopsy, then the chemotherapy, and then the big surgeries. And then with the subsequent brain tumors after that, you know, I realized that after each one, you know, like something extraordinary happened. You know, it's, it's like after cancer, you know, I went through this, this whole kind of inner searching of like, you know, what? Now what do I do? My mom didn't just survive. I did. What am I going to do with my second chance? And I, you know, I, I met my wife and we started a family and it's just like been big. Right. And then, you know, with the first brain tumor, I was married and I had a young son and it was like, okay, what's, you know, it's faith. You know, when I told Tracy, you know, she just grabbed both my hands and she started to pray. She didn't even say, Oh no, or anything else. She just said, I said, I have a brain tumor. She goes, Boom. And I just realized that, you know, that faith can really fill us with that inner strength and that, that power and that, you know, that comfort of knowing that, you know, again, what is next is what is next. And our, our big mantra was, it is what it is and whatever it takes. It is what it is and whatever it takes. And then you learn and you understand and you, and you try to, you know, figure out what's next, what's next, what's next. And as long as you can participate and not, you know, like, if you're a participant in your, whatever your affliction, instead of just a spectator, it, it really helps. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, now it's like I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm getting to work. And instead of it just being, okay, um, what are you going to do to me today? You know, it's like, no, it's like, what are we going to do today? How are, how are we going to, you know, this is a, you, you doc, you and me, we're in this together. So how are we going to make this a successful arrangement? And, and, I, you know, I just, there are times where, you know, again, the fear of being diagnosed with cancer, that first brain tumor, which is like, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's so not fair. I did the cancer thing. I had the childhood illness thing. 
and they, you know, the kind of the punchline of that is when they did the biopsy, they, they go down through your brain and take a piece of it and take it out. They said they found a safe corridor. I said, I'm not yeah. using any of it. Trust me. It's all good. Um, and they, you know, they basically handed my wife this uh, material on, on a craniopharyngioma and what it is. And, and, you know, I did have that four years of being in and out of hospitals as a child. And my wife goes, oh, listen to this. Craniopharyngiomas are usually detected early in a child's life due to a lack of growth and development. Bingo. (laughs) I was born with that brain tumor and that was my childhood illness. I mean, more than likely, right? So now it's like, okay, all these incredibly great things have happened to me because of this brain tumor or with this brain tumor. I would say, how how bad do I feel about it now? You know, like I have to look at it differently. Like, yeah, that was sort of what got me into skating. That's what made me my height. That's what made me my build. And that's what, you know, so it's like, okay, I I don't really feel like doomed or cursed or anything. And then it came back again the next time. And that one felt a little bit like a kick in the gut to tell you the truth. I just, I just didn't feel good about it. I I just, it did that one. That one kind of knocked me down. And so, you know, going in with that attitude was, was probably my fault. But the first surgery, um, there was, it, it was a complication with the surgery. And so I had to have nine more, wow. right? So it was, a, it was kind of a lost summer um, of just going in for one after another. It was also like being in a, you know, kind of a mini chamber of horrors. But, you know, every, every story, you know, if you, if you um, you know, again, can have it can have a happy ending, you know, so I got through it. And then six years later, the brain tumor came back again. And this time now I've survived it twice. Mm-hmm. So now I'm feeling, you know, stronger than, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I didn't feel strong enough. But I felt I felt like it's now the devil I know instead of the devil I don't know. Uh-huh. Right. So I first time was radiation. Second time was surgery. This time a little complicated because the surgery they have to go in and, and, and dismantle everything they did before to kind of get back in and do it again. And so it's, it's more complicated, but they're, they're telling me all this stuff. And all I'm hearing is blah, 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 blah. I didn't, you know, all I heard was my, my head was get strong. Like that was the only, it was just in there. It was like, get strong. And so they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I, I want, I want to go, I'm going to go get strong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they go, you don't want to, you don't want to make a decision today. I go, no, let's just keep an eye on it. And, um, and when I need to pull the trigger on something, I will, but right now I'm, I'm not symptomatic and it's not really pushing into anything important like optic nerves and things like that. I go, let's just, I'm going to get strong. Now, when I had that instinct to get strong, I didn't know if it was physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. So I, I, I kind of go, well, I better do all of them then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just do it all to cover the bases, right? <laughs> no, you gotta, you know, you gotta make sure I didn't miss anything, right? So it's really, it's, it's, I've been more alive in the last four years in many respects than I've ever been. Wow. And I feel more in touch with kind of, who I am and who I'm supposed to be in those four years than I ever have. And I've watched the tumor grow and shrink and shrink and grow and shrink and shrink. No one can really understand why it's shrinking, but then it'll grow again. Then it'll shrink and shrink. And 
So it's just for the last four years, you know, of getting strong. And that's, you know, it's, it's been, you know, really just understanding, you know, my faith and understanding, you know, what, what that means in this world and understanding how I can, you know, inspire others to understand. You, you may think you know yourself and you may think you understand the world as it is, but until you dive into this world of Christianity, it's like, man, it's just, it's, it's, it's lacking flavor right? It's just like, you know, it's bland. And then when you inject this incredible amount of love and hope and, and redemption and, oh my goodness, all those incredible things that just allow you to, to kind of start each day anew and without carrying all that baggage of your past around, you know, it just, it's so liberating and it's so powerful and, and it's filled with a promise, a, you know, a, and, and you're working and in this life, and you know that at the end of it, you know, there is a day when you hope to be standing in front of your creator and, you know, just pray for the words, well done, my good and faithful <laughs> servant. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just trying to be, um, be obedient to the life I've been given and, and to try to um, help others along the way. Yeah, you know, such a beautiful story. I absolutely love that. So I'm super curious, how did your relationship with death evolve over time from, you know, the time your mom got diagnosed to, to now? How has that relationship evolved and changed? You know, it's, it's um, I miss my mom every day. I miss my dad every day. I miss my grandparents every day. You know, it's just, you, you miss them, but it, it's the hope that comes with maybe, you know, seeing them again. Or knowing that at the end of this um, earthly life, you know, you, you, um, you, you head into the next, right? And it's not like, oh, this is, this is it. Once it's over, it's over. It'd be hard to live that way for me. Um, and I know it is for many other people and think that this is it, right? Especially as you start getting a little older, you think, oh, this is it, man. This is like, Oh, I just, I, I, you, know, you, get, you get angry, you know, because I, I didn't do that. I, yeah. I, I messed up this and I failed at that. And you're looking at all those things as kind of the sum total of your life. And, and I, you know, look at that. I learned, I grew, um, I understand things better because of that one. <laughs> that one kind of <laughs> like knocked me down, but I'm still here. And, and, you know, just that faith, that anticipation, you know, there was a man I met years ago named Greg Murtha. And he, he, you know, he basically set a record for chemotherapy. Nobody would ever had that many chemotherapies wow. for his type of cancer. And, you know, he, he was really just struggling through, but he had such faith. And I heard that he was in hospice at the hospital, you know, and he was in his last days. So I went to see him and he um, suffered pneumonia and he was on oxygen and everything. And he would pull his mask away and, and he'd look and he'd go, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm almost there. I'm almost, I'm almost at the foot. I'm almost at the feet of Jesus. I can't wait to meet him. I'm so excited. I've, I've waited my whole life for this moment. And it's that anticipation and that hope of living a life of faith and understanding who you are in the kingdom. It, it's just, it's so captivating and it's so interesting and there's so much to learn. And it's, it's just sort of this lifelong, like, you see people in industry, in ministry, that is still aspiring to understand everything that they've had in their hands all these years. So 
it's just a powerful journey and, and it's been so um, invigorating. It's been so life giving to me and it's been so um, uh, hopeful. You know, there's so much optimism in that, that, you know, it, it allows me to not sweat like the daily stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Oh, this happened today. Okay. Well, you know, we'll see where we are tomorrow. And, you know, it's like, uh, it, you know, it's not always what happens. It's how you, you respond to it. You know, I was giving a talk this morning and, and it was, you know, a story from what I learned in Lake Placid. It was like, I heard a quote, it's not the events in your life that define you. It's how you respond to them. And, and it's, and it's true. You know, you see people that, um, you know, you know, these, these, um, um, veterans that come back from the war without legs and arms and they reinvent themselves and they're, you know, they're now getting into sports and they're doing whatever, but they're, they're, they're different, but that doesn't mean they're lesser, you know, it's just, it's time to step into the new. And, and I get inspired by that. I get inspired by so many, I just try to pay attention and learn something from each interaction. And in that, you know, I just hope I'm a little bit richer for the experience. Yeah, you know, it really reminds me of this this quote of yours, which, which says that the only disability is a bad attitude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the only true disability in life is a bad attitude. I met too many people. There's this guy, and I can't wait to see him again. I met him when he was a junior in high school. His name is Joel Sonnenberg, and I I, I think about him all the time because he had such an effect on me. He was he was burned over eighty five percent of his body as a, as a young 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 baby child, whatever. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, you'd think, you know, somebody had burned like that. He didn't really have ears and nose or, or fingers. You know, he was really badly burned except for, um, the 15% of his body he was you know, wearing a wet diaper at the time. So that wasn't, you know, that part of it. So five wasn't burned and you meet him for, I don't know, two minutes, 90 seconds. And all of that goes away. And you, you understand that you're meeting somebody truly magnificent and and special and and joyful and and just so alive and you go wow that is like for you know a lot of people it'd be a you know a a really difficult thing to imagine you know being disfigured or whatever but it's not that's not who he is whatever his rapper is it's what's inside that's coming out that just makes you really admire this guy and and he's he's built this incredible life you know of just um, you know, just getting involved in doing things and sharing his, um, his love of the Lord. And then I look at, you know, guys like Kyle Maynard. Have you ever heard of Kyle Maynard? No, I don't know him. Kyle Maynard climbed Kilimanjaro. Well, a lot of people have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but how many people do you know have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro without arms or legs? Wow. Yeah. And he carried a soldier's ashes up to the top. Yeah. So you look at at people like that, that have have taken their circumstances. Travis Roy is another one. I've I've had the honor of meeting him. His dream was to play hockey at at Boston College or Boston University in in Boston. Um, I always get those two confused, but I think it was Boston University. So he gets on the ice, his first shift, he's on the ice for 11 seconds. And he gets checked into the boards and he breaks his neck and he's paralyzed from the waist down or no, from the neck down. He graduated college on time. Wow. So I look at people, I'm going to, 
whew, I look at people like that and I go, what's my excuse? <laughs> what, what am I up against? And, and those, those gentlemen were up against insurmountable challenges and they owned them and they operated them. They're like, no, this is, this, it's my life. I run it. I do it. And it's like, I want to be like that. Yeah. And so I, I see and I, 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 I hear these stories and, and I just, I get so inspired and it just, it's just, it's gas in the tank. It just, it allows me to just keep going and going and going. And, you know, it's hard to do that in a bubble. It's hard to do that on your own. You, you really need those external forces to come into your life because people are meant to be with people and they're meant to be in, in community with other people. And, and I think that's why podcasts work. I think that's why, cause you're really interacting with people in a unique way and, and you get to understand things from a different point of view that you probably desperately need at that time. Yeah, Scott, you know, that is so beautiful. And then especially coming from someone like you that has suffered probably more life challenges than, than most of us will. And yet you are still saying, like, look at those guys, right? I want to be like those guys that have suffered even more. It's still so hard. And so for most of for the rest of us that haven't suffered quite as much, this is even more of a reason to, to really take control of our lives and really for everybody to say, I have this life, so I'm going to use this to the utmost of my ability, no matter, no matter what, the, what the challenges in life. Live, Live your, days. your days, man. It's yes. like, you know, it, it is, it's, it's like, we, we have so many of them. And, you know, they're, it's precious. I mean, each one of them holds the opportunity for something really amazing. And, and I really believe that. I don't just say it. I just, that's where the whole program, the whole platform came from. It was just like, man, you know, I've seen it. I, you know, I, I've wasted a bunch of my days and I go back I go, you can't get them back. It's not like I go, Oh, can I, can I just push rewind and go back and do that over again? It doesn't work like that. You're, you're on a, you're on a one way track and you're going that way. Right. So um, I really just really try to be alive, you know, and, and as alive as I can possibly be and, and try to, you know, figure things out, read and, and pay attention to things and understand things from, my point of view, which is unique, you know, the way we could look at, watch the same movie at the same time, sitting right next to each other, and we could get something totally different out of it. And I love that. I mean, it's just like, whatever our mind, whatever our experience, whatever our emotions, you know, kind of identify. And I, you know, I did, I do every year I, I um, do a weekend of talks at a, the World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro. And this year, they're I think they're in December or maybe November. Anyway, um, Pastor Allen, who runs the church, Alan Jackson, he's a great guy. And um, man, his ministry is huge. But he, he just said, you know, the one thing I've learned in all my years of ministry is they're going to take away, each person's going to take away one thing. One thing, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some will take away more than one, but usually they'll take away one thing and they'll all be different one things, you know? So you, you don't know, you don't, yeah. you know, it's not like they're, you're going to look at this body of work that you just put down in front of somebody. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. And there's this one thing in there that was gold to that person. And that's kind of what we're in this for. It's like, we have something to share. We have something to, um, to give to somebody else. And if we, if, if we don't give it, it's, it's not their missed opportunity. It's ours, you know, yes. Yes. Well, it's theirs too. 
<laughs> I mean, there's that too. For, that's such a beautiful way at, at looking at life. So I'm super curious, like, what are some of those daily musts? Like, do you have any certain habits, anything that, you know, you, you try to put into every single day to truly feel like at the end of the day, I've lived today? I, you, know, I, you know, I'm always the first one up in the morning. I get the kids up for school. Um, my wife stays up later. Um, you know, we're on, and, and she's kind of like the organizer, right? So she's up late getting everything organized for the next day to make sure everything is, you know, all the kids have what, you know, all the, and so I go to bed a little bit earlier and then I get up earlier, wake up the kids and make a hot breakfast. I really want them to have a hot breakfast when they go to school. So, you know, it may seem, you know, sort of little, but to me, that's a big deal to me that like making, making sure they have a hot breakfast and they have enough healthy food in their bodies to start their day makes me feel like I'm, I'm really a great parent, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, Tracy, my wife, she's really into, organ you know, they got this, 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 she knows their schedule. She knows their responsibilities. She knows everything that's going on. And, and I depend on her for that. <laughs> and then I do my part. I do whatever I can. And my part is, you know, really to provide for the family and do all those things, but it's all those, little things like, you know, sitting in my son's room last night and just, you know, sharing a moment of, of, of common interest, you know, and, and my other son, he had, he had to be, um, they're doing this Greek play today um, in school and he had to be Hercules. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. So last night I snuck out and I bought him a Hercules costume, a big old muscle <laughs> thing, a shirt that he could wear. I love you know? that. <laughs> and so it's little things like that. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, reaching out to uh, the different stakeholders in the skating academy to make sure they have what they need. It's it's about um, making sure that I take in, a, you know, enough scripture each day to kind of make me, you know, really feel like that was a dedicated part of my day. And so it's, it's um, you know, sometimes it's traveling and it's meeting people on airplanes. Sometimes it's giving speeches and really trying to, you know, figure out um, who, you know, I'm talking to in the audience, you know, not it, it's everyone, but it's, yeah, it can be one person, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, each day presents its own list of opportunities. And, and, you know, I, I hope to be, um, I hope to answer those opportunities with the right response. Yeah. I love that so much. Now, Scott, if you could give our listeners just one action step or one piece of advice to really start applying right away in their lives. <laughs> you know, you talked about everybody takes away usually one thing. So yeah. what would you suggest to people for, to take that one thing with? So here's the thing. Every day it's, it'd be fun to do something a little bit different. So as part of the Live Your Days um, platform, it's liveyourdays.com. Just so, so simple, liveyourdays.com. We have a 30-day challenge. And the 30-day challenge, it, it's not like we don't ask you to run a marathon or anything because that would be really dumb. But it's to really build those muscles in our, in our being of gratitude and understanding our lives and our quality and everything else. So I would tell people just to, just to sign up for the 30-day challenge and to each day, you know, just it's, it's like the first day, it's write down three things that you're really grateful for. Just three things and why. So, you know, you start a journal and you start writing down those things. And, you know, it's like um, if you could, you know, it's all those. Um, it, it's like take something off somebody's list today. Like, you know, for my wife, she's got all these things to do. If I could do just take one thing off of her today, that would lighten her load a little bit. So it's it's acts of kindness. It's acts of generosity. It's 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 thoughtfulness. It's also 
kind of inwardly understanding, you know, kind of who we are and what makes us unique and special. And so I would say if I could take one thing, it would be 30 things. It would be just sign up for the 30 day challenge and get to know yourself a little bit better. And, and uh, you know, in that, you know, you're, it says it takes 18 days to, to change, you know, the way you do things. Well, this is, we gave you 12 bonus days. So um, the 30 day challenge is no matter where you start, it starts on day one of the 30 day challenge. So it's not like if you sign up, what is it today? You know, that you're that day of the month in. No, it's, it's when you sign up, bam, it starts on that day, the 30 day challenge. So um, that'd be one thing that would be really great. And also understand that while there's air in your lungs, there's life in your body. And um, that's, that's a day that's a day so we need to you know always be conscious of that and uh and always be obedient to that absolutely love that now what does it mean for you to max out your life oh man i don't know you know it's like i've done a lot of stuff you know and um yeah it it's uh it's it, it each thing leads, leads to the next, you know, like um, when I was a little kid, you know, trying to find something to do. Right. So I, I get sick and I'm in hospitals and then I find skating. Whoa, no, it's skating. You got to climb the ladder. You got to take tests and every day you get up and it's like, how do you max that out? Well, you max it out by, you know, like winning the Olympics. Okay. So I did that. <laughs> all right. So, you know, I like, and then, you know, as a male figure skater, the, there's not the same opportunities for me. So you, you got it like, mm, now I got to really get creative and I got to start thinking of ways that I can be um, valuable or potentially valuable to an employer. Right. So ah, I got to do that. So you figure that out. And how do I get my raise? How do I, you know, how do I do all those things? And then you get to a point where my body didn't want to do it anymore. So it's like, okay, now what am I doing? Well, I have all these experiences and I've got all this like equity of, of, um, of relational equity of like I've been around in front of so many people for so long. I can use those. I can speak. I can do corporate speaking. I can do, um, you know, inspirational, motivational, educational speaking. Right. Um, I can do that. So I, and then some broadcasting. I did that. You know, I can do that. So you're always kind of like this this door will get get into this room and then you walk through the room and then that door gets into the next room. (laughs) You know, if you can build your life like that, even if it's like somebody slams the door on you, Oh, there's a window over there. Let me go over there and check that out. You know, just, you got to keep going. And um, at the end of it, you know, you can look back on, you go, you know, that was, that was, that was fun. That was, that was hard at times and it was painful at times and it, you know, there were times that took my breath away um, in, in good ways and in not so good ways, but it was a full experience. You know, it's like leveraging the difficult times to, to allow good things to happen is really a muscle that is, you know, it, it takes time to build. Because most, you know, a lot of people, not most, I should say, a lot of people I've met get crushed under the moment instead of allowing them to understand that that's, a really good solid reason to get up and kind of figure out the next thing or, or how it's all going to work. You know, it's whether it be a lost job or a broken relationship or an illness, whatever, you know, I've kind of had all those, you, you know, you just got to figure out those survival skills of, of uh, not just survival, your thriver skills 
of what it takes to not only get through that, but to be better on the other side. I did a TED talk um, last summer. I guess it was last summer. And I basically talked about suffering. Like, that's a fun talk to give, right? (laughs) That's like what we all do. We all suffer, right? I said, you know, suffering is like that fork in the road, right? We get to that fork in the road, but it's not a right or left fork in the road. It's an up or down fork in the road, right? So you have three choices. You can succumb. You can allow that, that whatever you're going through, it's suffering to allow you to just crush you and just, you know, diminish you. You can adapt. You can just sort of stay right here and not, not go up or down. You can just stay right there and adapt to whatever your condition is. Or you can take kind of the steeper, tougher road and you can evolve, right? Yeah. So succumb, adapt, or evolve. That, you, that, only three choices you got here. That's it. Three choices. Succumb, adapt, or evolve. And at, at every time I've taken that steeper road, whew, man, you come out the other side and you go, that was hard, but it was so worth it, you yeah. know? And so knowing that, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to go through times, difficult times. We're going to go through, you know, those periods of yuck, you know, because that's life. But it's, it's also how we take ownership of that work through it and allow it to, to do its work in us. And I guess that would be a nugget, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, it definitely is. I love this so much. And so thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it's pretty heavy, right? But it was fun. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.